Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Okay, here we go. Thanks for listening to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with under-the-radar folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Very happy to be with you. Thank you so much for checking out the cast today. We have very special guest Maya DeVitri, whose new album Adaptations is out now. Uh, Maya is a former member of the string trio The Stray Birds. I'm going to get into what we're about to talk about in the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. So Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Lindsay Myers at LMNO Management. If you love traditional roots music, she wants you to check out Tina and Her Pony's album Champion at tinaandherpony.com or wherever you listen to music. Oh man, I cannot even believe that Maya DeVitri is on Basic Folk today. Uh, she is so talented and just one of the most incredible performers, songwriters, musicians that uh, I've come across recently. Of course, I was introduced to Maya at first with the Stray Birds and just watching her perform is, it's just magnificent. I've never seen someone feel live music the way that Maya feels it and got a chance to get to know her at Miles of Music Camp, which this is this incredible music camp that takes place in Lake Winnipesaukee um, in New Hampshire for uh, a week in June. And in fact, like registrations just opened up for that camp again. Just got my email last week, all signed up. Very excited to go again to Miles of Music Camp, which uh, I'll um, link on my website, cindyhouse.net. Um, you can check out information about it. But anyways, back to Maya. So the Straybirds actually disbanded um, late summer, early fall. They had a record come out in September, which was pretty excellent. But all the while, for the past couple of years, Maya has been working on her own solo album, which is out now. We're going to hear a song from uh, that release, Adaptations, in just a minute. But uh, Maya, Maya and I have a great conversation about her upbringing in Lancaster, PA, um, her transition into becoming a musician. She has this really incredible story when she was in kindergarten for show and tell. She brought in her guitar and played everybody Iris Dement's Our Town and then uh, it's pretty It's pretty funny what happened to her after that, uh, but she's just a delightful person. She's so smart uh, and so grounded, and I, I think you're really going to enjoy this, this conversation, and I really highly encourage you to check out Maya's full album, Adaptations, which you have to buy a physical copy of or go to Bandcamp because it's not streaming on all of the services, at least for right now. But right now we're going to take a listen to this song called What the Moon Said from Maya DeVitri's Adaptations album. And then we'll get to our conversation with her on Basic Book.
right, Maya DeVitri, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Cindy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And congratulations on the new album. It's so good. Um, so we're just going to talk about your whole entire life. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. All right. So I've met both of your parents, and they are awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up and what kind of parents you had? And, and you, you have three siblings, right? Yeah, I'm the oldest, and I have three younger siblings. And I grew up um, back a lane in Pennsylvania, little farmhouse, and seven acres and my parents kind of like let the let the farmland that was originally there sort of like grow up a little more wild so there were like trails and meadows and woods was that intentional that they let it grow up yeah they didn't um they weren't gonna like farm it so they just kind of let it you know go a little crazy and i just grew up outside like most of the time we we had a really small house and I didn't really ever have friends over to play unless it was nice out and we could play outside because it was just like a little too crazy to have more people in the house and we had a dog and I I had a really close relationship with all my siblings growing up. It was like a little subculture for me, like different from school. I was like super, super quiet in school. You led like a double life. Kind of. The house, you mentioned the house that you grew up. We talked about this before. It was, like, very tiny. Um, and, and I think I want to know, like, more about how, like, living in this small house, because your parents now live in a, in a really big house on the same land. Yeah. But we talked a little bit more about, like, how that living in that tiny space, like, do you know how many square foot footage that small house was? Um, I could find out, but I I don't remember. Like, it didn't it didn't really occur to me to care at the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's the only thing that you knew. But I was wondering, like, how do you think living in that smaller house along with your parents and your um, you had two siblings at the time, um, how that affected you and your personality? Yeah. yeah, well, there were yeah, there were ultimately all four kids living in that house because we moved. Um, we didn't move into the bigger house until I was a junior in high school. So, um, so Nina, the youngest was probably like, uh, like nine or 10 around that time. But, um, like I remember the, you know, when you go to school and they have a little piece of paper about study skills and they're like, make sure that you have, you know, do you have yes or no, maybe, or never, do you have a quiet space to study and do your homework? Oh, yeah. That's like away from people. And I was just like, yes. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to say never, because then they're going to pull me out of class and, you know, intervene or something. And I was like, I, there's nothing wrong. Like, I never do have a quiet space, but I have to, I just had to like learn to make a quiet space. So mm -hmm. I would, I got really, really good at like selectively paying attention to things that were going on. Um, I could contain my, um, my, my belongings and my, uh, projects and my thoughts in like a really small area. Like mm -hmm. I could just like sit on the corner of the couch and, you know, somebody could be watching Seinfeld and somebody could be like building something in the middle of the room and the dog could be running around and I'm just sitting on the corner of the couch doing my vocab homework. And that's like no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got used to that. And, uh, I I think I like fantasized a little bit about having like a space of my own, but I just I could just go outside for that ultimately. I could just 
you know, take a walk or... I think each kid seemed to have certain spaces outside that they would go and, like, sort of create, like, a little... This was, mm. like, their spot that they would yeah. go. Like, like Lyle and Nina, um, my youngest two siblings, they, like, carved out... Um, it, I thought it was kind of just, like, a big briar bush. It was a massive, like, overgrown area. And they just, like, dug... In, like into it and kind of carved out the middle part and it was just these vines and it wasn't you know thorny mm. in there anymore but they had like it was like a little house like inside yeah. of this they called it bush town and they would just like go to bush town <laughs> and like crawl around under there and it was their little spot where they would just like look for rabbits <laughs> and hang out oh wow this reminding me of like the little spaces that me and my brother would have as kids yeah yeah, yeah. that's great yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into the the music that was around you as a kid. It sounds like everyone played and you were like constantly surrounded by this like really lovely music community in Lancaster. Yeah, um, well, we had a lot of music in the house too, like recorded music. And there was a CD, there was a like a like a CD player and kind of these built in shelves on the wall and the futon was just backed up right against that. So, you know, even if you were a little kid, you could kind of just climb up on the futon and reach the CD player and pull CDs off and see what was there and put stuff in. And I have like a really vivid memory of listening to Iris DeMint and reading the liner notes, which were, I think, written by John Prine and kind of like taking the music in like all I don't know, that was like another way to sort of be like, I'm just over here now. I'm not paying attention to anything else that's going on. I'm just going to yeah. sit on, I'm going to be perched on the top of this futon and I'm listening to this CD, even though it was like a really shared experience because it's coming out of the speakers, like everybody else can hear it. I just, I was holding the CD, like the liner notes or whatever, and I felt really connected and like mm. I was in my own little space. And we had a lot, I mean, a lot of Beatles music and just so much uh so many recordings too to like explore before we get into like talking about the actual like playing music mm -hmm. i read about this really lovely story about your singing iris dements our town um on show and tell day in kindergarten yeah can you tell that story sure yeah i it was my i think my parents um so I was the oldest, so they kind of kept me home for, like, one extra year. I think they realized, like, you could send a kid to school when they're five, but they sent me when I was six to kindergarten. And they had not been, um, like, specifically homeschooling me, but I they were really interactive and really, um, you know, just they were, like, teaching me math, like, on the chalkboard at home and, and not, um, but not making it, you know, seem formal. And one of the things that I learned when I was like five or six was, you know, there was like a tiny little guitar at the house and probably because I loved Iris DeMint, I don't know why, but they, <laughs> they taught me um, to sing and play Our Town, um, which has all these lyrics about like, you know, burying your parents and you're wrecking your car and there's beer and all that, you know had your first beer at the bar and not six-year-old stuff not really six-year-old stuff but um but I didn't it didn't seem weird to me and also with the live music stuff like my parents would have their friends over and have bonfires and like you know camp outs and their friends would come over and they would play songs and play music around the campfire 
and they would drink beer and they would, you know, there was, there was that, and there were lightning bugs. Like, and she talks about sit on the porch and watch the lightning bugs fly. Like, and I was just like, yeah, of course I'm in this song. Like, I love, <laughs> I love this. So I learned that. And I remember learning like a, like really, really easy versions of uh, D and G like, so I heart, like, could hardly need to move my hand, my little hand at all, on the guitar. And I think it was a combination of, I remember that I was, I played that in show and tell in kindergarten. I just went in with a little guitar and just was like, well, I, I have a song to show. And I think that was kind of weird. And then, um, and I was also, I was also really obsessed with Pippi Longstocking. Oh, and, yeah. And she, um, she's like I guess there are these scenes in the books where she's like she's just like really good at math and I wanted to be like really I wanted to be as good as you know as strong and as good at math as Pippi Longstocking and I remember like showing um somebody was doing like like addition like basic addition in the kindergarten classroom and and I was like well you know or you can do this and I started to like kind of try to tell them about multiplication and and I think the teacher was just like I think you got to go to first grade. <laughs> we, we can't have this. So, so they like took, they pulled me out and talked to me and I did some tests and they sent me to first grade by Thanksgiving. But, um, but every, you know, in school for the first couple of years, people would always be like, Oh Maya, she's so smart. She like skipped a grade. And I'm like, no, no, no. My parents just kept me home for an extra year. And now I'm in the grade I'm supposed to be in. Like I'm not, I was never young for my grade. I was never mm. It's like it was just that I had done kindergarten at home. And and so I was, would like always very, very strongly clarify that. Like, no, no, no. Like, this is how old are you? Yeah, me too. Like, we're yeah. the same age. We're, this is the grade I'm supposed to be in. Please don't give me any extra attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> you don't understand. I just loved Pippi and Iris DeMent. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, so, like, give give me a sense of, like, the playing music at home what that was like for you it was I mean it was just fun for that's like my first memory of it it was fun like people around a campfire we would we build the fire and light some torches so people could like walk down the path to where the fire was I just remember falling asleep like outside it would be summertime and I wasn't playing music at that time necessarily. I was like, you know, maybe really young, like six and seven. And then when I was seven, I started taking piano lessons from my dad's mom, from my grandmother. That was that was my first regular like sit down and learn music kind of experience on an instrument. Then I started playing the violin. I guess I was eight and it was with the public school string program and you know, I, I liked practicing. I liked playing. I, I wanted to play the violin because my dad also played the He played fiddle. I didn't even like see the string demonstration that they did because I think I started, um, I think I started violin lessons like a year early in school too. And, and everybody else like started in fourth grade and they let me start in third grade. Yeah, I just, I remember by the time I actually saw the string demonstration in fourth grade, like along with everyone else, I was like, wait a second. I didn't know about the cello. And, <laughs> and then there was like, there was a time when I, like around like sixth grade that I, because um, then my sister Monica, who's like two years younger than me, and then my brother also two years younger than her. So 
the next immediate two siblings chose the cello. And so I was like, I, I think I'm going to switch to the cello. Like I just, it's just a cooler instrument. I want to play the cello. And they were, they were like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. The cello is ours. Like you can't switch to the cello. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll stick with the violin. I'll stick with the violin. <laughs> but I just and I and it's fine and I love I do like I'm happy that I stuck with the violin and it's because it's so like little and portable. I right. it's led to like other adventures in my life that you just can't as easily have with a cello. Right. Yeah, if you like are touring in New York City, you can just bring it with you. Yeah. You don't have to worry about leaving it in the car. Yeah. But also, you know, as I got really, really into to fiddle music and uh, and running around festivals with an instrument. I was I was glad to be playing the fiddle. But there was that time when I was like, like that is a cool <laughs> instrument. <laughs> How did I miss the memo on the cello? Yeah. <laughs> I was too right. excited to just play anything that I took the violin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I get the sense that you are also interested in um, creating like physical art forms. Yeah. Like painting and stuff. Yeah, that was a big part of my childhood, too, actually. Um, We called it the walnut cupboard, and there was just this big, like, storage thing, like a walnut cupboard, in the kitchen, and the couple of the, like, middle shelves were just, like, filled with art supplies. So just open it up, pull some paper out, pull some paints out. It was just very accessible. And, you know, my mom could just be, like cooking or you know working in the kitchen and just we're just all in the kitchen and someone was probably like roller skating around the kitchen table at the time (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah we just like we could just make stuff and my dad is an architect and he is a really good visual artist and now my mom has gone back to school and has like taken up painting like kind of like after being a full-time mom and she was she was a nurse until the fourth kid then she was a stay-at-home mom for a long time and now she is painting again but both of them like have a really strong gift for art and and just made it available to us and made us feel like why wouldn't you do this you know are you're bored like here are some paints (laughs) (laughs) I read a funny tweet yesterday that was like, after you turn 35, being bored is fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. When you're a kid, you gotta, you know, be entertained. So Maya, what moved you to start writing your own songs? And what was your experience like when you first started performing your original songs um, since you're such a shy kid? I wrote a lot. I have journals going like way, way back to when I was a kid. I would just, it's funny, like my boyfriend and I have analyzed like what we put in our journals. And does he also keep journals? He does, but not as, not with any, I guess, like zest that I have. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, you know, and I, because I've, like, shared an entry here or there, you know, as it was like, hey, like, read me something from when you were, like, 18 or whatever. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And and he'll just, like, make a list of, like, the things that he does during a day and be like, I did this. And then I went, to blah, blah, blah. then I t- rode my bike to the grocery store. And then I went and got a hot dog or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and mine is just, like, constantly processing, like, how I feel. Wow. So it's, it was, like, a little more... Um, of like what I was doing at the time but a lot of it is just me trying to like 
navigate feelings. So that's cool that those journals exist and that I can Mm. kind of see how I was, I can sort of see where I was starting to like feel constrained by school because the public school I was in, I was, I just, I really wanted to do well. I wanted to please people like, and and Mm -hmm. so in that setting, that meant you know, just like doing well academically and taking the AP classes and, you know, and not even my parents, like my parents were never like, you better get good grades. They just like never parented us that way. But I think like for my teachers, I wanted to like please my teachers and have a good relationship with them. And like even um, like learning like the five paragraph essay, I I remember um, one, I mean, maybe this like was dangerously empowering to me when the teacher gave me this feedback, but she, I, I've turned in some essay that I knew was supposed to be written in a different format. This was in like 11th grade. I was like, but like, how can I say this? Like in that strict format, like, and so I just, I just didn't say anything. And I just turned in something else. It was different. Just like the, the way that I guess like the order that the ideas were presented, just, there were some things that were not according to like the rubric. And I was like, well, if there's a rubric and at least if this part has to do with like this actual structure and like, even if I lose all those points, I'm going to knock it out of the park on the rest of it. And maybe she'll like still call on me in class if I ever happen to raise my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. so I turned it in and she said, um, some, she was like, it's so well written that it's okay that you didn't do that part. And, you know, she acknowledged that I did it wrong, but also she, she was like, you're a really good writer. And then she was like, I can't wait to read your published work someday. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And I just felt this sense of like, wait, like maybe there's like something else. Like maybe there's, maybe I don't have to just write five paragraph essays and get into Penn State. What else could I be writing? Like what other forms? Like, wait, I could write books. I could... I can write things that feel more, I could write an essay that feels more like poetry to me, like what's going on here? Yeah, it sounds like you found out at an early age that adults don't know everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like getting, like maybe that would have happened earlier if I had been at like some kind of alternative school or some kind of more like choose your own adventure education. But I was in like a very, very traditional, like high achieving suburban Pennsylvania state situation. And it was... I think had they not been, had a few teachers been less receptive, I think I could have gone in a different direction and been frustrated to the point of like, you know, just like angst and depression by the situation. But I think Mm. there were like a few teachers that I felt like I could, I could be more expressive and Mm -hmm. it would still fit in the, um, the guidelines or whatever. So I'm like really grateful for that. And I think that's some of the first times that I like really started to feel Um, like connected to the written word as like a way to express myself like outside Mm -hmm. of a journal and I mean it it just started to move fast from the time I was like 16 and 17 and kind of getting some of that feedback and feeling um, like I really loved writing and was becoming I was becoming more willing to like take a risk and share what I was writing and even if it was just with you know a teacher by the time I was like 19 I and 20, I was traveling and playing fiddle on the street, like busking and listening to songs a lot at night while I was like falling asleep. Um, I remember I had like a little iPod. I think it was just an iPod. That's what they were called, right? <laughs> like with That's me, right, it was yes. like listening to, um, listening to some songs while I would fall asleep was at night. Was it a nano? Least. 
Um, I don't know. I, I never had a nano. I know that I never had a nano. Um, yeah, I was just listening to some music at night, and I remember listening to Towns Van Zant around that time, like for the first time. And yeah, he was a big deal for you. Yeah, I don't know why. Like there was, it was a specific song too. It's not like I even like know his like work extensively, mm-hmm. um, but that song to live is to fly it just like really really hit me and I saw I saw that song I think it was like the simplicity of the melody and like his lyrics were like poetry to me and I Mm -hmm. and I saw that kind of I saw those like embedded and started to hear it that way and so yeah I got I just one day I just like wrote in my journal like go home and write songs (laughs) like I just (laughs) I just I just was inspired to like I don't I just like haven't been off that kick since like that's been my chosen like medium So I got a few questions about the stray birds. So stray birds everyone was from Lancaster and that's essentially like how everybody got together. Mm-hmm. And so the stray birds met and maybe recorded an EP and then did you go to Berkeley for a little while? So I I wanted, to, I was like, after I wrote in my journal, like, go home, write songs, came home. I wanted to apply to go to Berkeley. So I did, and I did this audition, and I was kind of like getting prepared to go up there. What were you auditioning with? I was like- auditioning on violin. Ah. Uh, because that was the thing. I could like read music. I could read music mm. for violin. I, I definitely didn't think of myself as a singer or a guitar player at the time. Mm. And I thought maybe I can get in the violin. I played like box suites on the violin to like get into <laughs> Berkeley. Um, the whole time I was like, I, I actually should have been like practicing more violin. I was just hiding away in the basement bathroom at my parents' house. And this is like the new big house. I was like hiding away in the basement working on songs. And I met Oliver Craven around that time. And we would go and like play songs at open mics around Lancaster and uh, eventually I was like, yeah, I want to, I'm going to make an EP of songs to take up to Boston to be like a songwriter. Like I want to, I kind of want to be writing songs too. I was very like timid about this though, because I, it's, I think it was really hard for me to like make the, it felt like such a leap to like open my mouth on stage mm. <laughs> after just playing fiddle in a couple bands and playing violin in the orchestra, like writing itself had been very private and now I was like okay wow I want to sing these songs and um so he was like oh I'll help you arrange these and you know I'll play some mandolin and and then eventually he and I really the first the first recording Borderland basically he and I went in to the studio at our friend Jeff Coleman's place like over the course of the summer I don't even think Charlie was a part of any of those sessions like I think he came and he sort of added the bass like after the fact, like, but Oliver and I were initially like just putting this music together. It was in, it was sort of a combination of like that time. And I think the transition for me to go up to Boston, but I'm still like trying to figure out like why I made certain choices at certain times. But basically my aim to release that, like an EP and to have kind of like a calling card in my pocket to go connect with the songwriter scene in Boston and all Mm. of that just sort of over the course of the next like year or so, as the Stray Birds sort of like gelled together, like that EP became the Stray Birds Borderland. 
And then there was like, in, in my journal, I've got a list of songs that I was like, all right, next recording project. Because that one had kind of like gotten away from me in a way. But it was also like, I was happy to have someone who was enthusiastic about this material and who wanted to sing harmonies and wanted to play on it. It was just a vulnerable time for me, like creatively. But in my journal, I have this list of songs. It's like, all right, next project, solo record, full length. And there's a bunch of songs that then became the first full length Strayburns. Oh, wow. wow. So, and, and it was like really haunting to me when I found those journals one day and was like, wow, I like, there's a reason that I have, that I have like physical discomfort with like creatively still in this project. Like there was never, there was something else that I had in mind that I, Mm. that I suspended and, and like, and the stray birds, I'm, I'm glad that everything happened as it did. And it's great. And, Mm -hmm. and we learned so much and I'm, I'm really excited for us individually now to kind of like navigate the music world with everything that we now have learned. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really vulnerable time for me. And I was so excited to just have somebody else excited about what I was doing. And it felt like, Mm -hmm. It felt much, um, much less scary to go sing showcases at the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance with a band that was like, hi, at NERFA, like, we're the stray birds. It wasn't like, hey, I'm Maya. I'm going to sing you a song. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's taken me a long time. I'm going up to Folk Alliance in Montreal in February, and I'm yeah. like purposefully going completely alone. I'm not going to play with anyone else. I'm going to play showcases me and the guitar because I know that's going to be the most difficult thing for me. And I just want, I'm like, now I'm ready. It's taken me 10 years, Mm. but I'm going to go sing these songs and it's just me and I'm a singer songwriter, take it or leave it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's really taken me a long time and, and I've had to like kind of zoom out and like process. I mean, even like a year ago from today, even though I had already recorded the solo record which was really informing me of like a lot of those old places that I had um, kind of like covered up and sort of folded into the stray birds. It was, there were things that were like poking through that were like, you yeah. can't, you cannot like abandon this. And I, I think the big, a big challenge in the past, in the past few months since the band did end is to learn to see this, solo music as kind of like there's no dichotomy it's not like this is like the other half of the stray birds or this is like instead of it just it just exists and like it has every right to exist in the world and share the air as Mm. that band and like there was a time when that band was all of the sound that I was making and now I'm doing this and it doesn't um yeah, it's been hard for me to not like limit it in that way and and to really own it and be like, yes, this is this is what I'm doing and this is and and this might be very expansive like over the course of my lifetime because now it's just me, like and I can change and grow in whatever direction and I don't have to be changing and growing based on a collective decision. Right. I noticed that the new album has some like really lovely layers of sound, which is not something we've heard before on a Stray Birds album. Stray Birds are a string band. It sounds like Lucinda Williams and Levon Helms, like dream roots Americana band. But mm-hmm. 
Um, it's almost like on your solo record, there's like this more feminine energy in the music. Um, and I know that you had other collaborators on the record, but you were the one calling the shots 100% this time around. And uh, do you think working on this record alone allowed you to get in touch with that energy or am I off? Uh, I would say yes. <laughs> um, I think that this record, it just, um, yeah, there wasn't like any structure to navigate. It was just other than the song. Like there was a song and it was like a wide open landscape. Hmm. And that's what I got to like step into in the studio. And Dan Nobler, who produced the album, was on the same page about that and was and was really like he, I just, I even said to him, I was like, I am not playing fiddle on this record. Just so you know, <laughs> like, that's not, that's not where these songs are going. I'm not yeah. quite sure how to take it there. And and then he was like, well, what about violin? Like, you know, I've got this friend who's a string arranger and like, I'm really hearing that kind of stuff. Cause I had said like, oh, this song, I'm, you know, I'm inspired by Nick Drake. And, and he's like, oh, like the strings and like that kind of part of that. And um, I think, and I think like the choice to work with Anthony DaCosta, who has this really expansive He's and a guitar really, player, right? He is a guitar yeah. player, yeah. This really expansive and creative approach on the guitar. And Jason Berger, who spent time playing as part of the band Big Thief, which is more in like the, you know, mm. indie indie rock approach to songs mm-hmm. um, as far as like groove. And but it, it just felt really it just felt really freeing and mm. uh and really peaceful too. Like there was no there was there was nothing to really be worried about. It was just, you know, I really believed in the songs. Like I'd I'd at this point I'd been writing for quite a while and I've been mm-hmm. writing a lot more than what made it onto Stray Birds records. And I'd been writing other stuff too. I'd continued, you know, journaling. I just continued I'd continued reading. I'd continued learning how to express things, I guess, for for a long time. And so I'm actually like so grateful. I'm so grateful that I dropped out of school and played full time in a band and like learned that pace of life. And now I'm just so grateful that that I actually in a very roundabout way, like made this solo record and I'm like at peace with it now. But it's, you know, in in the moment, like it felt like I was like visiting like a secret world when I was recording these songs because I, it was the first time that I had um, ever really been there. And it, so it was a secret world that, and maybe that was like a feminine world, like you're saying, like yeah. a, um, where the energy was different and where I, you know, where, where my, my voice and my, you know, possibility of like writing an album's worth of material where the, like the songs lived in that world together and kind of like, it was like a shared ecosystem or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It really like feels, um, but it was like I was visiting a different world. And, and so that was really powerful to me because actually physically going to that world and living inside of those songs with that band and, and feeling this album like come alive, um, it was really hard to figure out how, to, how that world was going to be integrated in like what I had known for the last, you know, seven years or so. Like, yeah, sounds scary. Yeah, it was. And I was, I was absolutely paralyzed by it. Like I was like, I was extremely inspired and extremely paralyzed. I think Mm. probably the way that many people feel when they're in 
it's funny, like, I'm thinking about the title of the album now. I've never really, like, thought about it in this way, but I think I had sort of grown certain, like, adaptations to, you know, to a certain world, and then I, like, realized I, like, needed new ones to kind of get out. Um, Yeah. Yeah, because it was like, wait, that's not, that's not the world that I, that, like, this body. I mean, it was, like, a very, it was a very physical, like, journey of kind of like returning to like my own body and my own like soul and 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 like what I what I needed to do but it it just I didn't even know like what I needed to do like at the time I didn't know that the band would end I just knew that the the balance was not going to be able to continue Mm. and I didn't know what that was going to look like you seem to me um we so we did a phone interview a couple of years ago for Stray Birds Mm-hmm. And, you know, since then, we have gotten to know each other a little bit more. But you seem like during this interview, like so free. Mm. And it's heartening, I guess, to to see that. Like, it seems like you may have been scared and paralyzed, but there had to have been a shift. Yeah. From that to like enjoying this process. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a different person. And it's definitely been like a process of like self-forgiveness and acceptance. And, you know, it was about time to learn some of those things, yeah. <laughs> even if it's hard and even if it takes uh, suspending. Like, I don't play music full time right now. Like, I work at Starbucks. I, um, I've been working as a barista since August. And that's been that's been another like really grounding thing. And I'm just in I'm in the transition. It's been interesting to to even talk, you know, start talking about it like this month, because finally, like I, I, um, I didn't even want to really like announce the record until this month. Cause I was like, I need at least, you know, I'll, <laughs> I, I will be ready to talk about this, you know, in 2019, but I just can't do it before. <laughs> like, um, because I could just tell that I wasn't like there, this was not going to be some like four month PR campaign situation I was like I need give me like three weeks before the record like I'll be down to talk (laughs) just I just need I need that I need the year to change I need Mm. um I just need as much time as possible to really like settle so one last question here you've been working with kids in Nashville with the program bus stop strong oh yeah are you still doing that Yeah. Um, it's not a very regular thing. Like it's just every couple weeks, um, bus stop strong happens really regularly. There is a woman named Brenda who I met when I was just taking a walk. Um, I I moved across town, so I don't live in East Nashville anymore. Um, but I, I was just taking a walk one day to watch the sunset and she and her neighbor were sitting on their porch and they were just yelling at me like, Hey, who are you? And cause they didn't recognize me walking down their street <laughs> And they've got, they've got like a really strong neighborhood watch in this neighborhood. And, and she was really like, just like, what are you doing? And I was taking a picture of the sunset. And they're like, what are you taking a picture of? And I said, the sunset. And, <laughs> and they were like, what? So I was just like, yeah. Um, and I was like yelling at them like, hey, I'm Maya. I live, I live over there. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, we'll come up on the porch and talk to us then. <laughs> so I went up and... Um, and so I met Brenda and, and she started telling me about this after school program that she does. And, um, it's in like sort of the next zip code over from ours, which has, um, 
I guess it's like the most incarcerated zip code in the U.S. Mm. Apparently, wow. Um, yeah, I've like taken. I've just like texted a bunch of music friends um, a couple different times and said, "Hey, I'm going over to Bus Stop Strong," and we just take instruments. Like, there's no, there's no real goal or anything like that yet. There's just like I have ideas about like maybe getting some like donations to get like an instrument library where the kids could like take you know just like a little parlor guitar like home with them mm-hmm. because some of these kids are so um they're like they scream when you bring an instrument out of the case like they are so excited have you even shown them the cello yet yes they have seen the cello <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we took a cello they've seen a cello they've seen a bass um they've seen uh guitars we took electric guitar one day plugged it into the amp that was cool uh definitely know about the fiddle and 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 the banjo they love the banjo and yeah so it's just to spend time with them and and like to connect with a different a different part of nashville like nashville is an extremely segregated city and constantly shifting to because of um people moving here and and neighborhoods um uh just rearranging it's it's been like it's been so fascinating to just like kind of leave that kind of close immediate music scene and just be somewhere where I walk down the street and meet Miss Brenda who runs this after school program and mm-hmm. and now I've you know called on music friends to kind of go and and play music in that setting and and take our music into a different zip code just as guests and um but yeah it's it's really kids just like love music it's so it's so beautiful to see the way that it's it's just so powerful like we yeah. we went and played um I went in there with Rachel Bayman and John Weisberger and we played Christmas songs and this really inspired me like they a couple of the kids had learned Christmas songs like at school and they were like raising their hands like, oh, like I want to sing a song. I want to sing a song for everyone. And we're like, OK. So uh, like one by one, they would like come up and just like acapella, like no accompaniment, you know, no mm. instruments, just sing in front of like 30, 40 kids. And some, yeah, no fear. some parents like no fear. Like this is like a nine year old kid just standing in front of everybody just singing. Yeah. And I'm just like in complete awe that that is like that there's some I don't know it's just like you keep that (laughs) that is so good and then everybody everybody cheers and then the next kid was just like oh that looks fun I want to do it too like yeah like I I, want to I got a song to sing for everybody and they just go up and sing like one verse of Frosty the Snowman and everyone cheers and it's like this is like this is this is a party how do we get these kids to miles of music oh gosh um I don't know but that would be incredible. I'll be the, you know, whatever, the guardian or whatever, <laughs> the sponsor who, who like, you know, make sure they find their cabin at night. But I think, yeah, there's like some, there's some real, some real desire to, yeah, to play and sing in, uh, in, in that, in that crew of kids. Well, I think this is a good place to, to stop. I think this, it's just been so great to hear you talk about everything that that you've been through uh and uh really appreciate your time very generous thank you Maya DeVitri you're welcome there you have it what a great person oh man I really like her she's just um I was talking with uh, my producer Laura McCarthy and I was like you're gonna really love editing 
this interview because Maya has like the best laugh. It's just so it's like it's just so cheerful. I could like you know just talk to her all day and and uh, you know listen to that laugh. But uh, also got to listen to her new album adaptations. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's not on all streaming service, so you got to buy a physical copy or look to Bandcamp, which I will link at my website, cindyhouse.net. want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. <clears throat> Basic Folk is supported by Lindsay Myers from Elemento Management. If you like the artists on Basic Folk, she thinks you'll also like the songwriting duo McDean at McDean Sings on Instagram or visit mcdean.co slash basicfolk. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, WIUPFM.org. Thanks to Laura McCarthy for producing the podcast, editing things all by herself, just really, you know, nailing it, being a champion, a superhero. Thank you so much. Uh, Also, thank you to Alex Stanton of the Pittsburgh band Townspeople for our music on Basic Folk. I'm Cindy Howes. Thank you, dear listener, for checking out the podcast. Please subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Tell your friends who are folk music nerds like you and me. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye.